chapter 14. I am going to speak to us on using the title, Jesus Reveals the Heart of the Father. Jesus Reveals the Heart of the Father. In John chapter 14, beginning from verse 7, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. I mean, as if like, Jesus just told him about the father, but he just said, show us, show, show us the father. <laughs> ah. And it is sufficient for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show or the Father. I want you to know this morning that Jesus' ministry on the earth was to demonstrate to us and to reveal to us who the Father is. We cannot know the Father except through and by the Lord Jesus. So Jesus in his earthly ministry came to demonstrate. He came to reveal to us. He came to show us portraits, snapshots of what the Father looks like. So if you want to know the Father, look at Jesus. He so beautifully in all the four Gospels reveals to us the heart of of the Father. And so this morning as we greet and honor all the fathers, without saying, without saying, all of us put together do not come to a fraction of who the Heavenly Father is. That's why I love this song that they just sung so much. This song we just ended singing. The song that reveals to us of the, the never ending reckless love of God. Jesus' mission was to help me and you to see a glimpse of who this father is. And just as the words of that song said, God's love is not only reckless, it's not only not never ending, it's almost scandalous. Scandalous. Jesus tells us different stories and parables. The first one that comes to mind to me is that Luke 15 passage. Where it talks to us about a man who had a hundred sheep and one got missing. And he left 99 to go after one. Is that what you and I will do? That is, Jesus was trying to get a message to us to help us to see that this love is incredibly reckless. You will live 99 and pursue one? Because in my own normal human thinking, I'll be thinking, what will happen to the 99 while I'm gone? 
to live in a life not exposed to go after one. Well, you see, God is not like you and I. Hallelujah. That is our consolation this morning that God's love towards us is never ending. It is reckless and it is scandalous. There is no thing you can do. Nothing. Nothing. Say nothing. Absolutely nothing. Say absolutely nothing. There is nothing you and I can do that God will say, I have to turn my back to you. It's not possible. Not anymore. That's what Romans chapter 8 is talking about. Nothing's in heaven, not the things on the earth. Nothing's beneath. Not famine, not peril, not pestilence. Nothing shall ever be able to separate you and I from the love of God. Now, I don't understand that in my humanity. But God is not a humanity. He's deity. He just does not love us. He is love. The essence of his being is love. So Jesus' ministry reveals to us several aspects of who this father is so that you and I will get to know him. Number one, Jesus tells us he's a protector. God the father is a protector. You see that in John chapter 10. Where it tells us very clearly, let me just read one or two of those verses. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Then in verse 28 of John chapter 10, it says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It protects us. It protects us. Now, many of us are from different backgrounds, different life experiences, different things have happened to many of us. Perhaps you've been through life where your father in his humanity fails to protect you. Peradventure, those in authority over you at some point in time were not able to shield you from certain things. In fact, maybe even them themselves had abused you or violated you. Not only have they failed to protect you, they actually have perpetrated some evil and wickedness in your life. And as a result of that, you are not able to receive and embrace God. And you have a hard time bridging that experience. God wants you to know this morning. It's not like a human father. He's a heavenly father. And his mission is to protect us. That's why David said in Psalm 23 verse 4, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why, David? For thou art with me. Hallelujah. It does not matter where you are in life, where you find yourself right now. You need to know and believe that God is not, a, is not only able to protect you, he desires to do so. His rod and his staff, they protect you. They guide you. Amen? Yea, yeah, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you should fear no evil. Because you're only walking through the valley. You're not camping there. God has a destination. You are just passing through. You are not living there. So the next thing Jesus shows us is that God is not only a provider, it's also, I mean, a protector, it's also a provider. It's a provider. He makes it clear in Matthew chapter 6. He tells us that God takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the birds. 
who can do nothing for themselves. So he says, now, if God will take care of the birds and the, and the ladies in the valley, how much must you? Think about that for a minute. Think of how much time we give to thinking about provision for ourselves. We work 40 hours a week. Some of us, 80 hours a week. We labor, we talk because we want to put food on the table. And that's good. It's good to be diligent. It's good to be hardworking. It's good to be industrious. But you must understand that your industry does not provide for you. <laughs> God is a provider. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 that God it goes, it does exceedingly abundantly above that which you are able to think or ask. That's who he is. He's not only a provider, he's a generous provider. He goes beyond your expectation. He exceeds your expectation and delivers. If you don't believe that, go ask the children of Israel. Who when he left Egypt... We're complaining, murmuring, grumbling. Oh, we left Egypt. We left the garlics and the onions and all the meat. God said, really? You are going to compare the meat in Egypt to what I can supply? Ha! Let's try it out. God rained down meat. Now, watch this now. Watch, this. watch what God did to them. God, in order for them to have quail that filled the ground, God had to deliver those boats at the level in which they can grab them. Did you miss that? No, you missed what I just said. They did not need a catapult to shoot them down. God allowed the birds to fly at the level where they just grabbed them. They did not have to be a member of the NRA and get a gun to shoot those birds down. No, God rained them down from heaven. Why? Because he's a God of over super abundance. He's a God of generosity. He supplied enough until they ate, until they could not eat any longer. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's generous. Not just a provider, but a generous provider. Jesus in multiplying the loaves, what did he do? Did he just get enough loaves and fishes for the crowd? No. He gave them what they needed and he had many left over. I say in Jesus' name, on this great Father's Day, God, the Heavenly Father, will rain supply for your need in such a measure that you will have leftover to the glory of God. In the name of Jesus, it will be a leftover God. Your testimony will be the testimony of abundance. The testimony of exceedingly abundance. In the name of Jesus, God will cause favor to rain down from heaven. It will cause provision to rain down from heaven in the name of Jesus. And you will not have to toil to collect it. It will bring it to you where you are. Because that's the kind of God he is. Hallelujah! Go and check his track record. Go and check his track record. When they multiplied the loaves, they didn't have to sweat. They didn't have to go to Publix or Kroger. No. He delivered. That's my God. That's my heavenly father. I can boast in him. Hallelujah. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's a protector. He's a provider. And then we see from the scriptures, as Jesus demonstrated for us, he's a compassionate God. Think how many times the Bible talks about compassion. 
Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. Jesus saw the multitudes and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. Lamentations chapter 322 tells us that the compassion of God does not fail. Compassion is different from just having sympathy. I can sympathize with you. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm so sorry. But I can't do anything. But when a man or a woman is gripped with compassion, compassion puts action to the feeling. It's not just a matter of just, oh, man, I really wish I could. No, no, no. When you have compassion, there's a trigger that gets you into action. And that's the kind of God that is your father this morning. It's a protector. It's a provider. And definitely, it's a compassionate God. Now, I will not do any justice to the profile of God if I, does, if I did not tell you that God is also a disciplinarian. I know you don't like to hear that. <laughs> I know you want me to just live in the goody, 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 real fuzzy, warming goody. He is all of that. But you must understand. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 tells me that those whom God loves, he chastens. He chastens. Why does he do that? Because he does not want to just see us go astray. Now, let me qualify the chastening of God. God does not chasten his children by giving them poverty. Do we get that cleared up? Okay. He does not chasten his children by giving them cancer or diabetes or arthritis, whatever you want to call it. Because that is the reason he came. He came to give us salvation, to redeem us from the curses of the law. And poverty and sickness and affliction, and demonic affliction, all of those things are part of the curses of the law. So when Jesus died and said it is finished, all those things are finished. God does not need sickness to correct me. He does not need poverty or being broke to correct us. No, he doesn't need any of that. Amen? He corrects us with his word. Amen? People will misunderstand you, yes, to bring God's correction into your life. So you need to understand that. It, prote- it provides, it protects, he has compassion, and he disciplines. And of course, he also instructs or he trains us. It instructs and he trains us. Now, I just want to leave that out there for you guys to see that, but I want to go a little further in this message this morning. Because I want to show us a picture in the scriptures, other than the heavenly father himself, of a man that we all know about but hardly talk about. And this portion of this message is for those fathers out there who are our unsung heroes. You do everything for your children, but they seem not to appreciate it. You work hard, maybe your spouse or those around you do not give you any commendation. And you just wonder, what kind of an ungrateful generation are you serving or are you blessing? I want you to take heart this morning because as we honor fathers and we talk about all the good things, we must also let us know there are those situations when you do everything you know to do and the people for which you do them do not appreciate it. And so in in saying that this morning, you are not alone. Did you hear what I just said? You may even be a mother. You may just be any parent. 
And you labor, you strive, you serve, you sacrifice, you give, 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 and your children never ever say thank you. Or your other partner, your spouse, do not even appreciate or recognize what you've done. You need to know that you are not alone. You need to take heart. In fact, as I'm saying this right now, a person comes to my mind. Of course, I will not mention their name. I know this person very, very closely. Very, very closely. And the, and the pain of his heart on this Father's Day, the pain of his heart is that no matter what he does, no matter how much he gives, no matter how much he sacrifices, the people for which he does these things just totally, completely do not appreciate it. This man cries this to me almost every month for years. But whoever you are, if this is your story, I want you to take heart. Because I want you to find yourself in the scriptures just now. If you go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, beginning from verse 19. Matthew 1, 19, if I can find it. There we go. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. What Joseph am I talking about? Joseph, the husband of Mary, who became the surrogate father of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you here have said in your heart, I want to be like Joseph? Mary's husband. No. Hardly any of us. We're all like Daniel. We're like Joseph, the son of Jacob. We're like Jeremiah. We're like Isaiah. We're like Abraham. We're like David. And on and on and on and on. But this Joseph, the husband of Mary, is almost like an obscure figure that the scriptures mention in just about two chapters with a few verses. And never ever mentioned again. But the amazing thing about this Joseph is without him and apart from him, God will have had to change his agenda. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. For those of you parents that are out there who are our unsung heroes. If you ever go to Washington, I want to encourage you to go to the seminary, the Arlington Seminary, where we have buried incredible, brave, courageous men and women who paid the ultimate price. And in a section of that cemetery is devoted to the unknown soldiers. Can you imagine that? Unknown to me and you, but definitely known to a father, a brother, a son, or someone. Because there's no one that comes to this earth Unknown. Joseph played an incredible role if Jesus was come, come to the earth. If it was not so, why would God have to go to him and try to convince him not to leave Mary? Mary received the word that she was going to give birth. And because she had been espoused to be the wife of Joseph, 
God had to make a stop at Joseph's house. I said, Joseph, I want you to know that that which Mary is carrying is a holy one. I know nature and the normal story, uh, social media will bombard you and say, this is crazy. But hear it from the horse's mouth, the God in heaven. Hear it that I am the one that put the baby in Mary. She didn't step out on you. Let's look, let's look at this profile of this father. Verse 19 again. Joseph, her husband, being number one, the first thing we hear about him is a just man. Just man. What does that tell us? The Bible says the just shall live by what? By faith. So we know right away this man is a faithful man. He's a man of faith. And to all those fathers out there, or all the parents out there, who's walking and living by faith, and no one is commending you, no one is singing your praise, you find good company. You are not alone. God, in due season, will vindicate you. Hey, hallelujah. Man may not commend you, but I'm telling you today, to the glory of God, keep on being faithful. Because you are about to birth something in the earth that will change the landscape of the earth. He was a just man. That's the first thing we see. Next, we are told that not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, this man was a man of discretion. Not only was he faithful or walking by faith, he was also a man of discretion. Fathers, I want to encourage you, don't wash the dirty laundries of your household out in public. Your wife may, may, may not be the best woman. Your children may not be behaving properly all of the time. They may not meet your requirements. They may not meet your rules. But I'm telling you in Jesus' name, find company in yourself. The wife Mary was about to have a child. And they had not slept together. But he made up his mind that he would not wash that dirty laundry publicly. He was not going to make her a public example. Discretion. Let's read what the Bible says about discretion. Proverbs 2.11. Proverbs 2.11. I'm going to move quickly. Proverbs 2 verse 11. You got it? Thank you. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Well, give me a New Testament because some of them will say, ah, oh, that's the Old Testament. Give me 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14.20. 1 Corinthians 14.20 Hallelujah. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes and in understanding be mature. Can you give that to me in the K KJV? Let me see how it says in the KJV. Okay, KJV. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Have in malice be children. But okay, all right. Uh, how about NIV? NIV. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. What's, the, what's, what's he saying? When it comes to understanding, we need to grow up. However, when it comes to infractions, uh, offenses, uh, irritation, uh, conflict, be like a child. Be like a child. Why? 
You can spunk a child right now for doing something wrong. Spunk them. I mean, his buttocks is red. You put some iron in his backside. He's, he's hurry. Ten minutes later, the child will come back and hug you. Did you forget the, the, the beating you put on him? No. As a child, he understands that even that shall pass. So what we are saying here is discretion helps me to understand that what's happening right now is not forever. It will pass. I'm just, I have discretion, and then moving on here in Matthew chapter 1 verses 19 through 25. The Bible says, while he thought on those things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not, take it, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceiving her is of the Holy Spirit. So she is just, is discreet, and then number three is perceptive. It's perceptive. Being perceptive means you are able to see that which is not ordinary. You are able to see that which is not natural, that which is not obvious. That's what it's not obvious. You hear a thing, you hear the, you hear what they're saying, but when you're perceptive, you can hear beyond what you heard in your ears and perceive what God is saying through what you heard. Many, many examples. Bible talks about how Paul was ministering and he perceived that the man, Acts 14, he perceived that the guy had the faith to receive healing. How did he perceive it? Something that happens in the spirit. Acts 14 verse 9. Acts 10 verse 34. You perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Amen? So what I'm saying to us is, not only do we need to live by faith, have discretion, Joseph, the husband of Mary, also had perception. He was able to perceive what God was doing through Mary, his, uh, his, his wife. And then number one, number four, he had integrity. Integrity. Psalms 11 verse 3. Psalms 25 verse 21. Psalms 78 verse 2. Integrity. Integrity means to be consistent. What you believe in and what you do to be consistent. How do we know he had integrity? Because, okay, let me just read it. In Matthew chapter 1. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to his wife. He just did not hear what God, what God was saying to him. He received it and did it. He followed through. If most of us in this room will follow through with what God has sent to us, oh, we'll be all different. We'll be all different. If I ask you, do you believe what God is doing? Say, yes, I do. I believe it. But you go out and do the exact opposite. Exact opposite. Do you believe God can keep you? Yes, you believe so. But you go hire a bodyguard. Do you believe God can provide? Oh, yes, I believe God can provide. You get a job that keeps you totally, completely out of church for the next three years. You don't believe. There's no integrity. What you believe in your mind and what you do must be consistent. If it's not consistent, it lacks integrity. It's not whole. W-H-O-L-E. But Joseph heard what the angel was saying, what God was saying to him. And as a result of what he perceived, he moved. He moved in action. He did exactly what he was told to do. Amen? Now let me move on. Not only was he just discreet, perceptive, had integrity, he was obedient. He was obedient. Because when, the Bible, when God told him to move Jesus 
out of where he was to go to Nazareth. He did it. He didn't sit and ask the question, why? Ah, she's too pregnant. She's heavily pregnant. If I move her now, she may have the baby on the None of that. He did not try to rationalize what he was told. It's census time. Move the baby. There's danger. Move him. Move him to Egypt. A different nation. He moved. He did it. He did it. He did it. Are you hearing me this morning? Matthew chapter 2. Let me just read that quickly and then I'm going to bring this way close. Matthew chapter 2. In verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. And stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? If this man was not who he was, if he didn't believe God, he could have stayed. He could have just said, I'm not going to Egypt. And God said, go to Egypt. Now, you must understand, going to Egypt for him was not like a, a going to Dakula. <laughs> no. It was not convenient. He did not have a, uh, a Tesla to drive him there. It was a serious business. But he believed God. And moved with what God said to do. And in verse 19 of the same chapter. Now when Herod was dead. Behold an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Saying arise take the young child and his mother. And go to the land of Israel. For those who saw the young child's life are dead. Now, you see how this man, Joseph, became so instrumental in not only Jesus' being born, but in protecting him in the early stages of his life when Jesus was vulnerable. That is Joseph, the husband of Mary. When did the Catholic Church honor Joseph? We hear about Mary, the mother of Jesus. What have they done for Joseph lately? Okay, let me bring it to you. What have you done for Joseph lately? The man who had, who was just and upright, who was discreet, who protected Jesus, who worked in integrity, who obeyed God and did everything God told him to do. So for those of us fathers out there that say, my wife don't appreciate me. My children don't appreciate me. You just found company. Now, am I saying it's alright not to appreciate those? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I cannot withhold good because somebody has not done good to me. You can't. You can't. Joseph will go down into history as one of the greatest man that God has ever walked through, even though our world do not sing his praise. Let me just close by taking us back to last week. I want to end on that note this morning. This issue of being ungrateful. The scriptures tell us in, I believe, Second Timothy uh he talks about how in his latter days, one of the key things he mentioned is the fact that parents, I mean, children will be unthankful. Did you, you, are, you are familiar with that scripture? 
unholy, unthankful, and so on and on and on and on. God forbid that any of us here will have children like that. But the point I want to make is, our Heavenly Father, because he's been so good to us, has expectation of us. Just as when earthly fathers have done what they know to do, what they've been commanded to do, they should have expectation of us. Particularly as we get older. Now, last Sunday, we did a Thanksgiving here. And I believe God spoke to us very powerfully about what we should do to honor our parents. Were you here? Did you hear the message? I want to show us another example of that this morning. Because that's a message I believe we should really begin to teach and to just make sure our young people and us really understand. So when Salvation was speaking this morning, when Lee was speaking this morning before, I would have been, I would have been a little uncomfortable sitting to hear what they were saying about me. But now I'm beginning to understand that we must teach us to honor those to whom honor is due. Because if we don't teach it, they will not know how to give it. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? If you don't teach your children and help them to understand what your role is and what their role is, and when times come, when you are not longer able to do what you're doing now, what they should do, they just may not do it. And if they don't do it, it may not be their fault. They just don't know. Because they've not been taught. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? The Bible is very clear that we should honor those to whom honor is due. Particularly parents, Ephesians chapter 6. Honor your father and your mother. The Bible says, because this is the first commandment with promise. That their lives may be long. Paradventure, the reason people die prematurely is because God cannot find any other useful nest for their living. God forbid that. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you have parents here today that is lavishing and suffering because you've not done your rights? I look at your faces, but your faces, your faces are talking volumes to me. My goodness, we need to have an order call for unthankful children. <laughs> Listen, Dr. Hamby wrote a book and the thing impacted me seriously. I mentioned this on Sunday, but it bears repeating. His father, who had planted God knows how many hundred churches when he was younger, became old and the churches he planted were not taught to take care of this old picture. Until the man became totally, completely, he couldn't do anything else for himself and Dr. McHamby had to take care of him. I will never forget this story. He had to take him to an assistant living uh, institution. And when he got there, he said, the lady that was processing his admission said, Sal, what insurance are you going to use? You have Kaiser? He said, no. You have Blue Cross and Blue Shield? He said, no. You have Cigna? He said, no. 
You have uh, Pitt State? He said no. You have Medicare? He said no. You have Medicaid? He said no. At that point, the lady looked up. What does he have? And the time said, he has a son. He has a son. And the son he has is bigger and better than all those insurance policies you just mentioned. Hear me. Hear me. Hear me. I pray that you will hear this and that you will teach it to your children and that you yourself will be a model of it. Paul teaches us that we are the insurance policy of our parents. I showed it to you last week. It's in the scriptures. No father or mother in their old age should have to lavish in need when they have children. It should never happen. And we saw how Jesus took it personally last week in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy woman. Their mother, rather. He understood in the agony of his pain on the cross that someone had to take care of his mother. And he did not leave it up to chance. He secured his mother's future while he could do so. And the Bible says, John took her home in that same hour. He didn't have to consult anybody. He didn't have to pray about it. He took it on. I said, yes, I'm going to do it. Are you taking care of your parents? Especially those of us that come from across the pond. It's true. Where governments have failed, governments have no plans whatsoever to take care of able-bodied people. How much the old? They don't. They don't take care. There's no sanctity of life in Africa. You die like a chicken. It's bad. And I'm praying that God will raise up people that will change that. But if you don't take care of them, they will die early. People that have means die early, much less people that don't have means. By the time you change generator, uh, fetch water. Uh, Are you hearing me? I know that time is going, but, I, but I, I'm taking my time because I'm going somewhere and I don't want to rush it at all because I want to make sure we get it. We have no right to expect our own children to honor us in our old age if we don't honor our parents now. That lacks what? Integrity. I just told you about integrity with yourself. If you're not doing it for your own age parents, and you think you are going to be 70, 80, and your children will do it for you, you are lying. So if you have not been doing it, take correction now. Begin to honor your parents. And for those of you that don't have any more parents, maybe you should just come and say, praise God, I'm free. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're free from this obligation. Praise God. Praise God. No, but Seriously. But we should teach our children. Now, Genesis chapter 40, um, 42. Genesis 42, 
verse 7. Before I read that scripture, I'm going to read one more scripture. Just leave Genesis 22 on the screen. Let me just read first first John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 1. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. So first John says, what manner of love? What, I mean, what incredible, first he says, behold. Don't let me go too far. Behold, pay attention, see. See what manner of love God has bestowed on us. What, what manner of love is this? Not only does he love us, he calls us children of him. He says, you are my child. Do you know what that means? To be adopted into the family of God? To where now you say, I'm a child of God. You are looking at God in the earth right now because Christ in me is the hope of glory. And all that done through and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it now goes on to say, the world does not know us because it does not know him. Now, Genesis 42, 7. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Give me verse 11. I believe it is verse 11. Is it verse 9? Give me verse 9. No. Uh, what verse is that? Okay, give me verse 8. There you go. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Why? They came to him in Egypt. Immediately saw them. Ha! Huh, look at Benjamin. No, not Benjamin. Look at God. Judah. Reuben. Hey! These are these wicked boys. They're here. <laughs> Immediately. He knew these wicked people were here. But the Bible says they did not recognize him. We just read the scripture, first, first John 3, 1. Why did he not recognize him? Because he's a changed man. He has come into understanding of the love of God. They don't. And the Bible says, they will not recognize us because they did not know him. So they did not recognize him, Joseph, because they don't know God. That's where it starts. But that's not really where I want to end this morning. Where I want to end this morning, now give me Genesis 45, verse 9. Joseph did the exact same thing Jesus did. Hurry up! Go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph. Hey, God has made me Lord. Of all Egypt. Paraphrase. Go and tell my father. I'm living in America. I've made it. I've had my breakthrough. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. I'm a businessman. I have made it. Destiny is happening. Go and tell him. 
Go and tell my father. He's living in famine. There is a need in his life. But thank God, out of 12 children, there's one. <laughs> oh my God. That God has set apart and set ahead to save a posterity this day. My family will not perish. My family will not suffer. My God. Why? Because God has raised one remnant. Go and tell my father. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. And you think God sent you here to bless you just for you. You have the audacity to go to the dealership and buy you a brand new car. And your father is riding a bicycle. You have the audacity to build your houses and wear your designer suits. And your father can barely drink or eat. And you come to church and lift up your hands and say, I praise God. No! I don't want to say what I think. Because you don't know the heart of this father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It's a God of posterity. Not just a God of one generation. What are you doing for your family? They only say, oh, I have a son in America. I have a daughter in America. Do they really have one? Because if they're, not, if they're not eating from your life, they don't have one. You don't count. You don't count! When were we in Nigeria last? April? Something like that. I'm talking to my 96-year-old father. And he says to me, your brother is a young millionaire. He said, my brother promised that he will be a young millionaire. And that my brother told him they will buy him a car. Right there and then, while the words were still coming out of his mouth, I dialed my phone. I said, brother, I'm hearing the father's report that you're a young millionaire. <laughs> Is it true? I said, not only is he saying you are a young millionaire, at 96 years old, he has not forgotten your promise. <laughs> the man is looking for the manifestation of the promise you made as a child. Why can he look for it? Because he's sold into your life. He has nourished you. He has trained you. Read Genesis 37 verse 2. This is the generation of Jacob, period. Joseph being 70 years old. Did, did you hear what I just said? This is the generation of Jacob, full stop. Joseph being 17 years. In other words, what you said as a child, that you just said carelessly, you don't understand how God got into that word and God wants to bring it to pass. You may have been 17 when you said it. But God grabbed it. And said, I'll bring it to pass. To God's glory. Before I could get here good, this young millionaire bought the car, shipped the car. As we speak, I believe the car has been unloaded in Lagos. True story. 
Because the man will not close his eyes until that promise is fulfilled. Don't. Genesis 45. Verse 11. This is Joseph. I can almost call it a boast. But like Paul said, let, me, let my boast be in the Lord. He said, there. <laughs> Look at this boss command. Hey, Joseph, you that was a slave, that was a prisoner, now the time can come when you can say, I will provide for you. Lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. Say, poverty is not a portion. <laughs> say it like you mean it. Say, poverty is not a portion. In Jesus' name. Poverty will not be your portion because you will raise up a seed. You will raise up a seed. <laughs> now, you must understand, we are not saying you're going to live through your children. No, that's not the message. Don't miss that. That's not the message. But a time will come when among the elders, you can sit. I did my portion. I did my time. I did my own part. I raised my children. I presented them unto God. And now, the God in them can strengthen my hands when I'm weak. For there are still five years of famine. Give me, give me, verse 27. No, verse 21. Verse 21. Then the sons of Israel did so. Now, you know I'm skipping a lot here. You may need to read this passage on your own. And Joseph gave them cards. Come on, guys. That's the best they had in his day. That's the best they had in his day. No wheelbarrows, cards. That's the difference. We battle, you'll be pushing and sweating. Cars will be driving itself. According to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. Let's read a couple more verses. Verse 27. But when they told him, that's Jacob now, when they told Jacob all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father revived. Man, I wish I was in Lagos when they're delivering the car to my father. True story. To see his spirit what? Revive. That he can give birth to his son who will make a promise and fulfill it. Amen. Amen. In his time. Not this nonsense where a person is lying in a casket. Oh, Papa was a good man. <laughs> he sent me to school. <laughs> he paid my school fees. <laughs> he gave me Christmas clothes. He gave me toys to play. That's nonsense. The man is dead. <laughs> Enjoy him when you can. <laughs> the spirit of your parents will be revived. Yeah. Because of the goodness of God in your life. In the name of Jesus, they will not perish. They will not lavish to the glory of God. In the name of Jesus. And then when you are old, God will make sure that your spirit will be revived out there in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 28. You're almost done. Then Israel said, it is enough. <laughs> Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. 
That is a revived man. The obedience of his son revived his spirit. And my challenge to all of us this morning is let God use us as instruments of bringing revival, not just to your parents, but let it have, let there be an overflow of God's goodness from our lives to our friends, our co-workers, those that we live around, so that they will see the manifestation of God's love through our own faithfulness and devotion to God in Jesus' name. And so, Father, on this Father's Day, we want to thank you for your love wherein you've loved us. Thank you for the revelation of your love towards us. We cannot thank you enough for it. Because in our humanity, it's difficult for us to understand it. Nevertheless, your word can never fail. Your word is true. Thank you for the length and the breadth, the depth and the height of your love towards us. We receive it and we thank you for it. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge this morning. That not only have you given us good things to enjoy, blessed our lives, but God, that we will bless you as well. And not only that, that will be a blessing to our parents and our children, be a blessing to us. Thank you for the revelation of your word. That you are a God of posterity. That you're not just interested in us, but you're interested in generations down, down the line. Help us, Father God. Bring us to a revelation of who you are. Help us to know you. To walk with you. We bless you today. We honor you, Father. Paradventure, if there's anyone, God, that does not know you yet. They are not born again because they don't know your son, Jesus. I pray this morning that the power of the Holy Spirit will bring a revelation of Jesus to them. And that in that revelation, Lord God, they will embrace you. They will come to your table to sup and to dine. Thank you, Father God, for bringing them into your fold. We honor you. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Go.